The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. So let's talk about this vote that's going to be in the Doyle tomorrow night, although the debate takes place tonight on the back of the Sinn Féin motion looking for an extension of the eviction ban, which is in place at present, which is due to expire at the end of March and which the government has decided will be allowed to expire rather than been rolled over. Now, we'll talk in a moment to Matt Shanahan, independent TD, a member of the regional independent group. But first, Senator Lisa Chambers of Fianna Fáil. What was the reason for the introduction of the eviction ban in the first place? Yeah, hi Matt. Um, so the eviction ban was introduced um, before the end of last year. So it's been in place now for, for about six months. It was introduced to prevent any evictions taking place over the winter period. And it was intended always to be a temporary ban uh, on evictions during that period. So the legislation uh, provided that that ban would come to an end naturally at the end of March. And the decision has been taken now by Cabinet and by the government to not bring in new legislation to extend uh, the, the temporary ban. So that legislation, as I said, will lapse at the end of, of March and um, notices to quit can be issued and evictions can take okay. place after that point. But other than the weather changing, what difference is there in the situation for people facing eviction? Or is this a sort of an indication that it's all right to evict people when it's getting a bit warmer? Well, no, that wasn't it. Um, it's something actually that, that happens in France every year from October to March, that there is a ban on evictions taking place during that period. I suppose acknowledging it's a more difficult time to, to be moving home and to look, to look for somewhere. Um, but during that period, the government used that time to try and increase supply, which it has done. So during that six month period, 7,000 new social homes were delivered. Uh, the income threshold to qualify for social housing was, was, was moved upwards of 5,000, moved up by 5,000. We had the renter's tax credit come in during that period. Um, we also made changes to the planning requirements for a part eight uh, for local authorities where they already had land zoned and and ready for for housing that was removed and we have the tenant in situ scheme as well which allowed local authorities to which does allow local authorities to purchase homes so that time that six month period was used by government to improve the situation for renters and for those wanting to purchase the numbers who are homeless went up during that period and if this eviction ban is removed most people agree that the numbers of homelessness will increase that that is potentially going to happen. Uh, I think you know it's been. If, if, well, if, if it's we can potentially going to happen, why are you allowing it to happen? Well, it's potentially going to happen that you will have people that will get a notice to quit that will find it difficult to get a property during that period. Now, that's not everybody and many tenancies that are going to come to an end. Many tenants will have already sourced additional accommodation. So during this period as well, the Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien, has uh, resourced local authorities not only to provide emergency accommodation, but has actually directed them to use the tenant and tissue scheme. So if you have a tenant that's um, on the social housing list and they get a notice to quit, the first place they go is to the local authority and the local authority have been directed to purchase that property in those circumstances. Sorry, so, can they compel know, the owner to sell the property? No, they can't at the moment. Um, but there is legislation being drafted and we hope to have that through both houses by the summer, which will create... So a isn't right. that then exactly the reason why you shouldn't be stopping the eviction ban now? If the legislation that you need to actually compel the landlords to sell to these tenants isn't in place, then why evict, then why change the eviction ban uh, prematurely? 
Well, I just want to answer the question that you first asked in terms of the, that right of first refusal. So legislation is being drafted to give a right of first refusal to a tenant that's that's in situ in the property. And that's for two for two reasons. One, they may be, may be able to use the first home shared equity scheme to purchase the property themselves. And if they can't afford to do so, an approved housing body or the local authority can purchase uh, that property and allow the tenant to stay on. So that's, that's transformative. That has never happened before. And that's new legislation that's coming through. To answer your question, why the, the, the the legislation is not being extended. The advice to government from the Attorney General, which is the government's chief legal advisor, was that if they were going to extend the eviction ban, they would need to do so for two years and that the long, the short-term gain of doing that um, would be far outweighed by the long-term damage that that would create to the rental sector. So, sorry, sorry, hold on. The, one second, the, the, Lisa, Lisa, what you've just done there is you've conflated legal advice with economic advice. It's one thing for the Attorney General to give advice as to whether something is legal or not or how long a piece of legislation can actually be extended for. But I can't imagine that the Attorney General made an economic assessment as to where things would be in two years' time. No, sorry. The, the, the minister was advised by his advisors that to extend the eviction ban for any period would have created a problem in the rental sector in that one, you would have lost more landlords from the rental sector, which is currently a problem. We are losing too many. And two, you would stop uh, new landlords or, you know, disencourage new landlords coming into the sector. We need we need landlords in the market. We need small landlords, which make up the majority of landlords, actually in excess of 70 percent are small landlords. So the short term gain, it would have been popular to just extend it. The difficult decision was taken to not extend it because it would have shored up an even greater problem for down the road and it was the right thing to do to not but damage sorry, the rental sector. If you say sector. it's going to be a greater problem for down the road, is that a concession that you're not going to be able to provide enough houses, well, local authority and social housing and rent supported houses for two years time, that the supply well, sorry, of no, new houses that, that, will um, not be enough? That, that charge has been made previously. No, that's not what I'm saying. But we don't want to damage the rental sector. And the advice to government was if the rental ban were to be extended over a period, that it would damage the rental sector in the medium to long term. So, Matt, the popular thing to do and the easy thing to do would have been just to extend it. Um, that would have been the easy decision to take. The unpopular decision, but the right decision was to not extend because it would have created a larger problem down the road. And the government didn't want to do that. So that's the advice to government from the Is it going to be the right the decision for people who lose their homes from the 1st of April onwards? Well, just to say on that point, you know, I, I do acknowledge it can be a very stressful experience for somebody to get a notice to quit. So I want to acknowledge that um, anyone that's got a notice to quit currently, some of those will have sourced alternative accommodation themselves. And others, even though that's said, very hard because of the shortage of available properties. Um, it's difficult, but there are still some available properties and it's not um, it's not the same in every part of the country. But I do acknowledge that that is a challenge. That is why the Department of Housing and the Minister for Housing has resourced the local authorities, obviously to provide emergency accommodation where needed, but to purchase properties if the tenant is in situ and they're on the, the social housing list. And of course, to continue to increase supply, which we did up to th- more than 30,000 homes last year delivered, which is 10,000 greater than the previous year. So supply and about 20,000 less than has been admitted is actually needed. I want to bring in Matt well, Shanahan. It, no, no, one second. You've had a long run there, Lisa. So I want to bring in Matt Shanahan, the independent TD, member of the regional independent group. What do you make of what you heard there from Lisa Chambers? 
Well, I think she's detailing a situation that um, probably reflects the accurate situation that we're in, Matt. But I, I think what you didn't mention was that effectively, you know, this is going to fall to the responsibility of government. It's government's job to provide policy that's conducive to uh, expanding our housing sector. And clearly that hasn't been happening to the degree that's needed. That's the first problem. The second problem is that we have basically abrogated the government's responsibility to look after social housing by basically putting that responsibility onto the private rental market, which was never supposed to carry uh, the number of homes, I think over 60,000 people in uh, private rented accommodation through the social welfare schemes. So this is a problem and, uh, and I think it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, private and small landlords have been singled out here as somehow being uh, the issue here. They are certainly not. They are uh, providing a very needed service, but the facts of the matter are they are leaving the market in droves and, and that has been attested there on, on uh, a number of surveys recently done. So I suppose from our point of view in the regional group you know we want as we've always tried to be uh, very I suppose promote policy that we think can make a difference and that was the reason that we put forward uh, our eight amendments uh, to government yesterday evening in the hope that they would look at those and uh, and, and basically incorporate them. And how because, many of them have been taken on board? Well I've only received um, a quite comprehensive amendment about five minutes ago from the journal's office so I think I can see four I'm not sure there's more than that but I need to go through it in detail as yet so um, they have to some degree listened to what we've said I'm not sure that uh, they've, they've listen to everything that we've said but I think look the bottom line here is that we all understand that there's a very very difficult situation for both renters and for landlords and the only thing that's going to really sort it out is to increase supply and one of the things that we brought a motion into government I think now more than six eight months ago was to target uh, firstly vacant housing and that hasn't happened uh, to any appreciable degree. Target we, vacant housing in what way Matt? To refurbish vacant housing to allow people to come in and buy, not just to buy for owner-occupier, which it is in first-time uh, buyer, to allow anybody to go in and purchase a vacant house and to avail of government schemes and to put that house into the rental sector, if they so wish, because we need to encourage people back into the rental sector. 85% of the, the rents in this country are supplied by private landlords. So I think we are trying to be proactive in terms of, of uh, you know, seeing what the problems are and trying to address them. And I think okay, but sorry, Matt, I'm sorry, close. I just want to get clarification on that. Mm. How many vacant units do you think are there around the country at present and how would you go about making sure that you got the builders and everything to go in and retrofit them or refurbish them and whatever because a lot of the time the builders say it's much more cost effective and efficient to get a team onto a site and build new houses from scratch rather than trying to go in and redo one-offs. Well that assumes Matt that you have planning permission for a team to go in on site and, and to develop a housing and, and we know how long planning is taking in this country. With There's tens of thousands of unused planning permissions are present. There, there may well be and viability is the issue there which is one of the reasons we also targeted viability in terms of our amendments, in terms of strategic um, housing, the, the infrastructural directives that were taken on, where we have a load of schemes around the country that are not viable because of the high density planning regulations that were associated. Well, go back with to them. the derelict or the vacant houses and how quickly you can bring those back into use and well, what I'm numbers not, you I'm think you get. I'm not going to them. bring them back into use so, so that we just understand, okay, and these are all part of a comprehensive suite of measures that government should be bringing in. We asked previously for uh, work permits to be amended to allow people to come into this country and work in the construction sector. We do not have enough people working on it. And where would they we- live? 
Well, there's the point, Matt, but I, I have spoken to a number of large developers and certainly they were looking at providing some type of modular housing on site for schemes and in actual fact I understand that's happening on a scheme in Dublin at the moment. So, I mean, listen, there are always problems but there are solutions also if they're looked at. We're looking at trying to provide solutions to stimulate housing uh, development right across the sector and I think what we proposed to government were very comprehensive, are easily doable and easily implementable and as I say, I don't know how much of them they have taken well, let me ask Lisa Chambers, what's your understanding of the various eight points that were put forward by the regional independents last night? How many of them have been taken on board by the government and agreed to? Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen the, the draft amendment that's going towards the motion, but I just want to acknowledge that I think the regional independent group have been extremely fair. Um, you know, they've been critical where they, they feel appropriate, but they've been quite fair to acknowledge that there's been a difficult decision on the part of government and a difficult decision for renters. I've read the eight, the eight proposed amendments from the, from the regional independent grouping and they're very I suppose they're they're pragmatic and they're sensible and there's nothing there that I personally disagree with. Um, many of them focus on uh, changes to the Creek Onaha scheme, which is the refurbishment grant for, for older properties. Um, I would imagine that the government will not be minded to bring in a tax, uh, a, ch- a change the, to the tax system for landlords in this tax year because the Thonish uh, Micheál Martin has already said that there will be a tax package but it'll be in the budget in October to take effect in 2024. But the other elements that have been recommended in terms of increasing the grant available through Cree Cronaha um, to allow people that are uh, on social welfare payments to have somebody in their house. That that has been agreed to as well, I think. So uh, just, I think, very sensible recommendations. And you can see that if all opposition were doing something like this in terms of proposing solutions, as opposed to just criticising for the sake of political point scoring, um, I think we'd be in a different space. I, this is very, you're, this sucking, is very, you're sucking up to them for their votes to keep well, the government no, to win, it, aren't I'm you? Not, actually, no, I'm not. This is a really constructive proposal from, the, from one opposition grouping that actually is proposed solutions that I think could assist the situation. So I want to thank them for that. And I think it's 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 good to see constructive opposition because we need that. Um, and I, I see so I, I see no major difficulty in what's been proposed, except, as I said, for the tax package, because I know government has already said that the tax changes that are going to come forward will happen for next year and it'll be budget uh, time in okay. October. Matt Shanahan, how do you think you're going to vote tomorrow night? Well, I don't know, Matt, because firstly, I need to sit down and go through this in detail. And secondly, I need to uh, back channel with some government people and find out exactly what the enactment of all of this is, because at the end of the day, this is a private member's motion. There's actually no compunction on government to implement anything here. They can just accept amendments and, and basically sit on them. So I want to make sure that that's not going to happen. So that's actually, uh, one Matt, of my just one other thing I want, and as a listener here makes a good point, Lisa said, you know, about the government has provided 30,000 homes. The government hasn't. It's private developers who've done it. And even when local councils and housing authorities, very rarely do they actually build themselves, but they actually buy them from private developers. Would you have any confidence in the state actually doing building itself through local authorities or through other means? Well, not at the moment with the procurement systems that we have in place, Matt, and I'm involved in a couple of, of um, projects that I'm pushing at the moment through the public procurement process and uh, they are harrowing is the only word you could describe in terms of trying to get action. Any project through the public procurement system now, any capital project of any scale is probably a minimum of two to three years in a procurement process and that's even after or before depending where you are in the process, getting planning permission, etc. So how the local 
local authorities who do not have people engaged. As you say, they have completely farmed out and subcontracted all of that activity, and I'm not sure they're even set up to do it. But I think what, what has been proven in this state is if you make the conditions applicable for people to be able to develop, certainly the private sector can do it. And I would like to see uh, public sector building take place, but I don't want to see it on the template similar to HSE, where I enact uh, a large amount of the time, because that type of efficiency is not going to deliver any kind of affordable housing. Thank you very much, Matt Shanahan, Independent TD, member of the Regional Independent Group, and Senator Lisa Chambers of Fianna Fáil. Here's one of the listeners saying, one of the biggest scandals in this country is all the empty upper-level properties in our cities. To refurbish these would not only provide desperately needed accommodation, but also bring life back into our cities and large towns. I'd really like to understand why they're left derelict, apart from the obvious reason that someone somewhere is waiting for them to crash, fall down and cash in on development. Listener, that is a topic we have discussed on this programme for years. Major bugbear of mine. There are so many units all around Dublin City Centre, Cork City Centre, and fire standards apparently is one of the major reasons why it doesn't happen, about the need to have fire escapes and the rest of it, and apparently it costs a lot to retrofit in some places you wouldn't be able to do it. But you know what? It would bring an enormous amount of life back into our city centres, have all knock-on benefits for restaurants, pubs, all sorts of things, cafes. Again, another one of the things that seems so obvious to do, but we don't seem able to do it. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.